So anyway, uh, speaking of stuff that you don't deserve, we're going to be talking about one of those things this morning. Father's Dad, you guys are off the hook today because I am not going to be giving a, Father's Day, a typical Father's Day sermon. Uh, I had a kind of a difficult time this week trying to decide exactly how boldly I wanted to present this message to you guys this morning. Because uh, the scripture that we're going to go over, which comes out of the book of Galatians, is a, uh, is a very bold scripture. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Galatians uh, is a bold book. Uh, the churches that received this letter from the Apostle Paul when it was first written, probably, not, not probably, they no doubt would have been shocked by some of its content. And some of its content, the majority of its content, the pri primary theme of its content, is very, very shocking to a lot of us today. It remains, that sh it remains shocking. And to some, you might even say that it was scandalous. Paul has a scandalous message for us. He had a scandalous message for the churches in the province of Galatia, and he has a message that is scandalous for us today because, well, I'm not going to tell you why. We're going to get through that in a second. Galatians in the scripture that we're going to cover today, the scripture we're going to look at is going to completely shatter any notion of self-righteousness that we might have. It is going to completely shatter anything that we have, any, any notions that we have regarding our supposed Christian superiority. <clears throat> what we're going to read, what we're going to cover, prevents us from comparing ourselves with other people as if somehow we are or somehow we can be better than somebody else in the eyes of God. And it completely obliterates our faults, our vain, and our judgmental ideas about who is in and who is out in the family of God. Does that sound interesting to you guys so far? On top of that, these scriptures in no uncertain terms also give us the hopeful assurance of our salvation. It's amazing how many people I run into that say, Pastor, I don't, I don't, am I saved? Am I saved? The Bible tells us how we can have that assurance. Christ tells us how we can have that assurance. Paul tells us how we can have that assurance because the gospel really is very, very simple. So the ones we're going to look at come out of Galatians 3 and verses 23 through 28. Y'all can read that on the screen or y'all can uh, read it from your pew Bible or whatever. <clears throat> but start in verse 23, chapter 3 of Galatians. <clears throat> Paul writes these words. He says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Remember those three words, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God by faith. There's that word again. By faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the word of God for the people of God. We, uh, Y'all can leave the scriptures up there, Casey. I'm probably going to go back to them a little bit. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about Galatians on a couple Sunday morning worship services that I remember. And uh, as a matter of fact, our Wednesday night Bible study group went through the entire book of Galatians not too awful long ago. 
Um, so y'all may remember some of this stuff and you may not, but for some of those who may be, have forgotten some of this stuff about the basics of Galatians, and for some of you folks who may not know the basics of Galatians, I want to give you kind of a quick rundown about what's going on and what the whole, the whole idea, the whole theme is of this, of this book, this letter that Paul writes to these churches. The book of Galatians is a very passionate letter. You, you, you can read it in the wording. You can read it in the language of this book. It's a very, very impassioned letter that was written by Paul as he addresses these church, churches in the provinces of Galatia, which is kind of where the country of Turkey is right now. And uh, he is so passionate in his letter because he is addressing a problem. He's so passionate because he is addressing what he views to be a major, a major and a severe crisis that's going on within this church. As a matter of fact, Paul doesn't waste time in this letter. A lot of times you can read Paul's letters, they, there's a long introduction and stuff like that. No, no, no. Paul doesn't waste any time whatsoever in this letter getting straight to the point. If you were to turn backwards in your Bible to Galatians 1, right there in verse 6, basically the beginning of the letter, Paul writes this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and that you are turning to a different gospel. So there's the, there's the baseline. There's the foundation. I am astonished that you are forgetting what we have taught you and that you are return or that you are turning to a different gospel. What is that different gospel that Paul was talking about? Honestly, folks, the different gospel that Paul is referring to in this letter to the Galatians is not that dissimilar from the type of gospel many of us preach, many of us teach, many of us embrace today. There's a lot of similarities and they're wrong. Paul gets into that. In short, the Galatians were being taught, a lot of them were being taught, and they were embracing a gospel that was based, here it comes, in rules. They were embracing and they were being taught a gospel that was based on following the rules. It was a gospel that required people to practice certain things, to follow certain laws to a T, and also to believe in Jesus, to be Christians, to be truly what we call saved or justified. In other words, it was a Jesus and gospel, or it was a Jesus plus gospel. You have to do this, you have to do that, and you have to believe in Jesus. It was a gospel of merit. Y'all know what I mean by that? It was a gospel of earning. A gospel of doing something or doing a lot of things in order to be reconciled, in order to be in what you have heard me often refer to as a right relationship with God. Your actions and your ability to follow all the rules, your ability, your actions to follow, <clears throat> to follow the rule of the law to a T at least partially determines your salvation and your right standing with God. Does any of this sound familiar to you guys today? How many people told you you needed to get right with God? I'm going to bring it home in a minute. More specifically, <clears throat> Paul was addressing a group of, of, of Jewish, of historical, traditional Jewish people who had converted over to Christianity 
but now they were going around telling Gentile Christians, and remember what Gentiles are. Gentiles were basically anybody who was not Jewish. So these, these, these traditional Jewish leaders, teachers, who had converted to Christianity were going around the churches in Galatia telling the new Gentile Christians that they had to both believe in Jesus and they had to strictly follow the Mosaic law just like they did in order to be saved and in order to be considered to be part of the family of God. Now, if you don't know the Mosaic law, or sometimes we just call it the law of Moses, is all of the moral, all the civil, all the ceremonial laws that are, that are contained within the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes we call that the Torah. But they're all the laws that are, that are, that are, that are ceremonial, moral, uh, and civil. The stuff that applied to the court system, basically. All 613 of them. Before we go any further, because I don't want to lose y'all. Before we go any further, I just want to make sure that nobody misunderstands and nobody misquotes what I'm saying. So let me say this as, as, as plainly as I possibly can. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, understanding God's laws of morality, understanding God's laws of behavior, understanding what Jesus said was the greatest of all the commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, all of that, which you guys know, you guys know if you attend Bemis, that I stress those things over and over and over again. All of those things are important. And y'all know that I teach those things fervently. And we're going to talk a little bit about those things next week. But I want you guys to get this message first this week. All of that stuff's important. But understand this. Following the rules does not save us. Nor is it a requirement to save us. Following the rule of law does not save us. Paulette talked to the kids this morning about the Ten Commandments. Y'all know that I believe in the Ten Commandments. You know that I believe that's the will of God. Following the Ten Commandments doesn't save us. And this isn't anything crazy that I'm teaching, folks. This is basic Christianity, Protestant Christianity 101. But I think that we forget about this sometimes. And I think that when we forget about this, it affects our relationships with other people. And that's really what I want to talk about more today. Our salvation... Our rightness or our righteousness before God is not contingent on our ability to follow, or our inability for that matter, to follow all the rules. And thank God for it. Because if that were the case, we would, all of us in this room, be in a heap of trouble. Don't take my word for it, though. Don't, don't think this is some crazy gospel that I'm preaching to you guys. Paul is exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians. Let's look at some other things that Paul wrote about salvation, what the requirements are of salvation, those types of things. What does Paul say the gospel is? How does Paul define the gospel? One of my most favorite, and I shared this with one of our church members this, 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 this week who had, a, uh, who had a family member who was struggling with the idea of their salvation. And what they were telling themselves was absolute nonsense. What they were telling themselves basically was that they were unworthy to approach God because, because, because they had sin in their lives. What an awful thing to believe. What an awful thing to believe. So I pointed our church member to this scripture. And this is one of my most favorite and one of the most straightforward scriptures that I think provides the overall essence and the simplest explanation 
of salvation and the gospel directly from the mouth or directly from the pen of Paul. You can find it in Romans chapter 10, and it's verses 9 and 10. Listen to this now. Here are your salvation requirements. Here is what's required. This is how you get saved. So simple. Verses 9 and 10 of Romans 10, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't see nothing in there about following the law as, as a contingent part of our being justified with God. He goes on to write this, Trusting with the heart leads to righteousness. Confessing with the mouth leads to salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes these words. He says, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And I've actually talked about this verse, this, this portion of Scripture with you guys before. First importance. This is it. This is what Paul outlines as the gospel. That Christ died for his sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third morning according to scriptures. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. That's what saves us, folks. That's what justifies us. That's what makes us right in the eyes of God. This is the simplicity of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Our salvation is not based on what we do. Our salvation is not based on what we don't do. It's not based on our ability or our inability, inability to follow the rules. It's not based on earning God's favor. We've already got that. Our salvation, mine, yours, is the gracious and scandalous gift that is given to us by God. And it's granted solely by faith in what Jesus has already done for us through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. Period. Stop. Jesus only. Not Jesus and. Not Jesus plus. Simply, simply Jesus. You know, you would think that of all the New Testament people, all the, all the characters that you find in the New Testament, if there was one person who was going to be absolutely insistent that we all had to follow the Mosaic law to a T in order to be saved, that person would have been Paul. Let me remind you guys of who Paul was prior to being a Christian. Paul was a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, he was, he was pretty high up in, 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 that, in that particular Jewish sect. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were very, very, very conservative, very, very, very strict Jews who insisted on following all of the laws to a T. Paul would have known these things backwards and forwards, and he would have practiced them fervently, diligently. He was so big, he was so big in this movement that he was given, he, he was, he was, he was, he was given the role, he was given the job to go hunt down and go persecute Christians who were teaching this crazy gospel of salvation by faith, who were teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's what he did prior to his conversion, prior to meeting Jesus literally face to face. 
He, y'all can read about him witnessing the stoning of, uh, of Stephen in the, in the book of Acts. He was there. He watched it. He endorsed it. He rounded people up, moms, dads, kids, put them in prison. That's how fervent of a Pharisee, of a Jew, Paul was prior to his conversion. And he was adamant about it. He was adamant about the law, strictly adamant about following the law to a T. So you would think, if anybody in the New Testament was going to insist that this was part of our salvation, it would have been this guy. But no. Read verse 24. <clears throat> and remember how much <laughs> read this verse and remember how much he would have relished the law, how much respect he would have had for that, how much he would have insisted on people following it, how much he himself followed it 24, the law was given as our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Not by what we do, not by what we don't do, not by our abilities to follow the law, our inabilities to follow the law, whatever. The law was our guardian until Christ came so that we could be justified by faith and faith alone. What a tremendous gift this is. The law was our guardian. It was our custodian, according to Paul. It's, it's what showed us right from wrong until the time of Christ. It's what helped keep us on the straight and narrow as best as it possibly could anyway until Christ came and gave us that gift. I get, <laughs> I get that this is a hard pill for some of us to swallow. You know, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of within our human nature, it's kinda, our, our sinful human nature. To want to make up all kind of rules and all kind of guidelines, all kind of qualifications, all kind of stipulations for who's in and for who's out in the church. We want to judge people's salvation, other people's salvation by comparing them to ourselves. We want to base other people's salvation on our own judgments of their sins and where they fall short. We want to exclude certain people from the body of Christ. Let's be honest, because... We might sin, but that person or those people are just too different. And they sin far worse than I do. Their sins must be worse than mine. Surely they can't be God's children. So often, we are not that much different from the people that Paul is railing against in the book of Galatians. Let me add this caveat. Now, this is where I was talking about how boldly I was going to preach this. <laughs> Let me add this little caveat to that statement that I just made about who's in and who's out. If other people's sin makes you mad, if other people's sin makes you angry, if other people's sin provokes in you a, 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 an attitude of condemnation, please don't think that you're being holy. If other people's sin makes you mad, please don't think you're being holy. What you're being is self-righteous. There is not a single instance in the Gospels that I can think of, and y'all can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I cannot think of a single instance in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, in which Jesus Christ dealt with somebody stuck in sin 
with anger and condemnation. Again, y'all check them out. Y'all feel free to come back and tell me if I'm wrong about this. Jesus dealt with people who were stuck in sin with mercy and with grace and with compassion. As a matter of fact, the only people that I can think of in the Gospels, the only situations that I can think of in the Gospels where Jesus lashed out at other people was in the direction of religious people, religious teachers who had condemnation in their heart, who followed the law to a T, who displayed all the outward signs of religion, but on the inside were hard and calloused and broken and cruel. We like to separate ourselves from people <laughs> because they sin differently than us. It's not right, church. We are all justified. We are all made right in the body, in the eyes of God, by one thing. One thing only. Faith. There's not a single place, you know. Let me, let me, let me say this. There's other ways. Can you go up to the next verses, Casey? 27, 28. <clears throat> There's other ways that we often try to separate ourselves from others, and, we, and we've done this in the church. I'm not talking about Bemis United Methodist Church. I think we do a pretty good job of this, actually. I am talking about the overall church in general over the decades, over the centuries. There's other ways that we separate ourselves from others and have done so in the past, and Paul addresses these same situations in verse 27 and verse 28. Let me read it to you real quick. For all of you who are baptized in, into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church people in Paul's day had the same prejudices and the same tendencies that we do today to want to only associate with other people who were like them. That's what verse 28 is all about, and it absolutely blows the wall off these sinful attitudes and this, this, this intentional separation that we do. It's when we intentionally separate, try to separate ourselves from others. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Guess who didn't get along in Paul's days? Jews and Gentiles. Okay? Now compare this to the stuff that you see today. Why didn't the Jews and the Gentiles get along? Because there were racial implications were race, there was racism between these two groups. There were ethical implications. There were cultural implications. Certainly there were religious implications. These two groups did not get along. Certainly we can see that in today's time, in 2022. There is neither slave nor free. Can you imagine? Can you possibly imagine putting the wealthy and the poorest of the poor on equal footing. How do we like to separate ourselves today from other people? We like to separate ourselves by social classes very often. We like to separate ourselves we like from with, with, with our socioeconomic groups, those types of things. Imagine a world, <laughs> a kingdom, where there is neither slave nor free, where the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor are on equal footing. 
nor is there male or female. Women were treated pretty poorly in Paul's time. Pretty awful, actually. They were, they were, they were considered second-class citizens. I can't really go into you know, vast detail about that, but y'all can probably imagine. Women were not well-treated in Paul's day, even among the religious folks. And they, and, they, and they thought that they could back that up with their, with their religious beliefs was the thing. They were treated very poorly. As a matter of fact, I think I told you guys this one time. Um, there were, it, was, it was not uncommon for Jewish men when, when they would go to God in prayer. They would thank God for not making them Gentiles or women. Can you all imagine? <laughs> That's how much they were, they were, they were rel women were relished. The female gender was relished in that time. neither male nor female. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that we believe in having women pastors in the Methodist Church. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ shatters all of these prejudices, church. There is no place in God's kingdom. There is no place in God's church for any kind of distinctions based on race, based on gender, Here's one for you, based on political affiliation. Any of these things, any of these things that we so often use to separate ourselves from other people who aren't like us. Church, we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's one of the things I love about Bemis. It's one of the things I love about Bemis. And, and my last church was the same way, actually. We kind of, we really stood out, and I think Bemis stands out. It makes me glad that I can look out into our congregation and I see a mixture of cultures. I see a mixture of ethnicities. I see a mixture of races. I see a mixture of socioeconomic classes. All of those things. Not for the sake, not just for the sake of, you know, of, of, of being non-discriminatory, but for the sake of, of the simplicity that this is what God's kingdom looks like. Y'all have been to churches where everybody pretty much looks like everybody else, haven't you? Y'all have seen those cultures, those situations? That's not the church. If I walk into a church and everybody's the same race and the same socioeconomic class, I've got to ask myself, you know, something is amiss here. I like that about Bemis. And I'm not saying that necessarily to brag on us. I just think it's a reflection of, of what God has graced us with. The grace of God unifies us. The mercy and the love that we receive from Christ through no effort of our own places us all equal footing. No one is greater. No one is less. We have nothing to brag about, folks. We have nothing to boast about except what Paul says he boasts about, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Good news, the gospel. Kevin, y'all can come on up. Our faith in Christ's work through his death and resurrection is what makes us right with God. Faith. Going back to the beginning. Faith frees us from the power of sin and death, and faith frees us from the constraints of the law. Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is all about the idea of freedom. A lot of times I'll, I'll preach this on, this, this just happens to be a, a coincidence, but a lot, oftentimes I'll preach on Galatians during, around July 4th. So this, this just happened, that's come out this way. But Galatians is all about freedom. It's all about the freedom that we have because of Christ. Now, for those of you who are concerned, the question becomes, what do we do with this freedom? If I don't have to follow the law, 
because I'm saved through faith, what does that mean? If I'm free through God's grace, if I'm saved, if I'm reconciled, if I'm in God's good graces now because of my faith, what about the law? Fortunately, Paul talks about that as well <laughs> at the end of Galatians. And that's what we're going to talk about last week. But I want you to, I just, I just you know, this, this, this has come up, this has come up in conversations so often, that so very often lately that I've had with people. And it's generally two, one of two things, you know, it's, it's, and I hope I've made sense this morning, but it's, it, it generally happens in, in, in one of two groups, or maybe sometimes both. It comes in the form of people who would exclude other people from the body of Christ, people who would basically compare themselves, you know, with, and uh, not see us all as equal, basically, in the body of Christ, not as worthy because this person does this, this person does that. Folks, if, if our salvation, if our worthiness were based on what we did and what we didn't do, again, we'd be in a lot of trouble. We'd be in a lot of trouble. Think about that when you're dealing with your, with your brothers and sisters. Think about that when you're dealing with your brothers and sisters. Just because they sin differently than us, because <laughs> they sin differently than me, doesn't mean they're any, 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 of any less value. We're all in the same boat on this. The second reason this thing comes up in conversations again is people don't feel like they're worthy. And I've heard that from people who, who have been a part of churches for years. You know, I'm just not worthy. I'm not, I'm not worthy of God's love. You are. You are. You've already got it. You can approach God with all the confidence in the world because of what Christ has already done for you. He's already done it. You don't have to do anything to make God happy. He has already done it for you. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for, for your gospel. We thank you for the simplicity of your, of your gospel, Lord. We, how, do we, how, do, how, do we even, how do we even express such gratitude for what we don't deserve? And yet you give it to us and you give it to us freely. Help us, God, to accept that as part of our lives. Help us, God, to accept the reality of your, your indescribable grace, your indescribable mercy in our lives. Help us, God, to take that grace and to take that mercy that we have received and help us to spread that throughout our community, throughout our church, throughout our world, so that people might know the love of Christ through us. Just thank you for that. Heavenly Father, open up our eyes to situations in our lives where we might try to separate ourselves from, from other people. Sometimes when we might think that we are better than somebody else, God. And in those sinful situations, help us to recognize that. Help us to repent and change our hearts. There is no separation in the body of Christ, God. You taught us that. We are all one in Christ Jesus through one thing, one thing only. And that is our faith in what you have done to us and for us already. How awesome, how awesome of an idea, God. And we just thank you so much for that. Church, I want to open up the altar like we do every Sunday. If you have a need uh, to come up here, this is the time for it. If you'd like to pray, if you have a need for prayer, you'd like me to pray with you, for you, I would love to do so. Just let me know. If anything that's been said this morning has touched you in some way, you know, and you just like to respond for whatever reason, I'd invite you to do that as well.